Hi, my name is Titi Mutendi and you are listening to Enterprising Families Podcast. Welcome to the world of Enterprising Families where we discuss the issues of governance, next gen and looking at how families of wealth and family businesses growing into families of wealth can preserve their wealth, become better as they go forward into a new generation. everyone and welcome to this episode of Enterprising Families and on this episode of Enterprising Families I have with me Kathleen O'Hara and we're going to be speaking about trauma, how it can create an identity and affect our futures and I'm sure we all have experience with trauma especially with what the world has been going through through this global pandemic and there's a lot of things that we feel uncertain about but today we're going to unpack it from a family perspective and see which are the traumas that affect us and how they can bubble into our future and continue affecting us generation upon generation. So I'm so excited to be having this conversation. Welcome, Kathleen. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Uh, we've just met a while ago and, and we've really hit it off and I'm just so happy to be part of this program and what you're doing. So thank, thank you, you so much. Thank you. And before we start on our topic for today, I would like you to just introduce yourself to my audience so that they know a little bit about who you are. Well, that's right. Who am I? Okay. So, <laughs> so in my, in the workplace, I've been a psychotherapist for 28 years now. And I'm more now of a family advisor using the psychology background to help family offices and families deal with the challenges of this new century and, uh, and how um, issues like wealth and legacy affect the psychology of the family. So I do a lot of work with uh, next gen also couples and relationships and, and, and all those sort of things that, uh, that we're all dealing with, particularly now with COVID and the impacts of that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so our topic today is trauma. And I think when we had this conversation about trauma, we shared our own personal experiences with trauma. And uh, we came up to the conclusion that trauma is one of those things where we never expected when it happens but it changes our lives and it changes how we see the world around us and how we even operate in this world. It's almost like you're taking off one pair of glasses and putting on another pair of glasses that gives you a totally different depiction of the world. World. So I'd like you to share what is your perspective of trauma and um, what are the ways that you've seen trauma changing people? You know, yeah, yeah. when we shared our personal experiences, we noted that, you know, one day you have a certain conception of the world. You know, you, you have operating systems and operating principles, mm -hmm. and then the event happens. Mm. And whatever is significant to that family or that person, mm -hmm. right? It could be trauma with a capital T, or it could be other types of losses, right? But... Mm -hmm everything changes, mm. particularly with, with the big traumas. Mm. And uh, when I wrote my book, A Grief Like No Other, it was dealing with very traumatic death, like either homicide or suicide, uh, drug overdose, um, 
automobile accidents, things that are sudden and unexpected. And I talk about, you know, you, you are standing in front of the ocean and you have to cross this dark ocean that mm. you've never done before, right? Mm. And behind you is the world you thought you had. Mm. So this creates a whole new challenge because you are looking at it through a different lens. Mm. You know, particularly if it's a tra traumatic loss of a loved one, which has happened mm. a lot in COVID, hasn't it? So all of a sudden this family system changes, mm. particularly in family offices, if it's a patriarch or matriarch, how do we, how do we organize the business? How do, we, how do we go forward as a family? And on a personal level, mm. how do I cope with this overwhelming grief that I have to face? And that changes people. And in fact, uh, you know, there, the epigenetic studies, which are really interesting because they talk about, you know, the DNA markers and, and this sort of thing. And what they discovered in the limited research they've done is that trauma doesn't change the DNA code per se, but it changes behaviors around it. So, yeah. you know, you still have your own mm -hmm. self. Yeah. but your behaviors change around it, which means interestingly that it could be reversible, reversible. And again, this is, this is a new field. So, so these are all hypotheses based on certain small studies. Mm -hmm. um, for example, uh, there was a study and this kind of started it off on Holocaust survivors. Okay and who had uh, uh, high levels of depression and anxiety as mm -hmm. a result of their experiences in the camps. And that, that, that makes sense to anybody, like if you go through something like that. Mm -hmm. But what they found was the children and the grandchildren were exhibiting similar high levels of depression and anxiety. Mm -hmm. They wanted to know, was it related to transgenerational trauma? And they think that it is mm. that coping strategies throughout the family generations are impacted. So in other words, the trauma impairs the sense of identity. Mm. Mm. Then the children are growing up in with more limited coping strategies because they're seeing the family go through that. Mm. Mm. Right then their children may be doing, so you see this three or four generations later, unless there's an intervention made to restore the resilience. And that's where, you know, okay, so the DNA is, is, is compromised, but it can be changed again, mm. never to be the same. But it's interesting, isn't it? It's fascinating because I am thinking of it, um, I'm taking the analogy used of that vast ocean and I'm thinking of it as a ripple effect. It's when you see raindrops, we take rain for granted. But then if you see a drop on still water, it's that essence of that drop that goes and becomes part of the water. But the effect that ripples right across the water you don't really see where the ripple ends. It just seems to keep on vibrating across the water. 
And so a traumatic event can be seen in such a similar way, whereas in is that one drop that goes into a still moment where life is perfect and the water was a clear glass something, and then it just drops and becomes a part of that existence. But there's that ripple that goes right across the water. And when that ripple happens, it can be a ripple that signifies the different effects it has in one person's life. It can be a ripple that signifies the different generations that can be impacted by that one traumatic event. And I'm just thinking that like all the examples you gave of trauma, the the hardest trauma to take, especially for us human beings, is the trauma of loss, loss of a loved one. Because um, I once had a psychologist um, speak about it and they said, what really impacts people with grief in death is not so much the loss itself of the person, but the loss of the future with that person. Mm-hmm. The dreams, the expectations, the plans they had with that person are suddenly just taken away from them. And so is the presence of that person. So even the thought of I'm going to go and visit, we're going to meet tomorrow, we're going to meet next week, we're going to have when we have the next family gathering. Or if it's like, for my example, when the expectation where we, me and my husband went shopping for baby clothes and we're expecting to, to, to have a future, this was a prepared future. And to have that just ripped away from you, it's, it's trauma because you have to accept that that future is no longer an option and that in itself. Yeah. I think you're absolutely right. You know, it is the loss of the future and future generations Mm. because in the case of a child and both of us have lost a child that you always think about that. Of course, after a period of time, you know, you, you, you go about your quote new and normal existence, but there's always like a song playing in the background of what could have been, mm. of what, what, you know, how old that child would be. As, as a matter of fact, I was talking to my um, other son, uh, who's 36 now, and I was talking to him about his brother and my son that, that died mm-hmm. and talking about what life might be like you know, how many grandchildren I might have, what kind of career he might have, what, because he would be 42 now, because he was 20 when he was killed. So, you know, it's, a, it's, it's just so mind boggling. Mm. And both of us were sharing our grief, but it was a very quiet grief, because so many years had passed. So we weren't in the early stages. But certainly, there was a poignance about the loss and just wondering where we would all be. And, and this is why these, these types of violent deaths in particular, where a life is taken, mm-hmm. that, you know, we feel so robbed mm-hmm. In, mm-hmm. in any experience of death, mm-hmm. we feel robbed, particularly, I think, through the death of a child, because it's the human race is about evolution and going forward and having our children and caring for them. Never mm. mind how they might turn out. <laughs> that, that is their destiny. Mm. But we assume they're going to be alive, 
living their destiny. And so, so this, yeah, you know, and, and grief and loss, I think, or this, you're right, they are the biggest things in, in, in humanity's experience, the most traumatic. Mm. Because even if you look at major events like the Holocaust and even genocides and even wars, what really impacts us is loss loss of life, loss of property, loss of things that we've built, but mostly loss of life because we are strung together by this thin thread that runs through. And I think Corona made it more evident that it just doesn't run through you in your own little cul-de-sac, but it runs through the whole globe. We're all interlinked no matter where we might be. And as we may have it, we, from the stories that we've heard through media, it was a, a man from rural China. I mean, in our wildest dreams, no one in the world could have believed that a man from rural China could impact us in such a way that it would ground the whole world. And that shows us just how connected and interconnected we are and how even the smallest traumatic event can have those ripple effects that can touch everyone. If we see the fact that the Holocaust happened in the 40s, yet we are about to get to 2040, and yet we still feel the pain, we still feel the shock, the horror, we still feel the, the, that there's something inside of us that really says this, this was not necessary. This didn't need to happen. And so many other questions that go around trauma. And, the, and that's the other thing people don't realize, the questions that go around trauma. You can imagine in a family office or in a family business where you've had the patriarch or the matriarch running this business and they're, they're the, 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 the golden child. They're, they're, they're the pillar. They're everything. And then to then hear there's a traumatic car accident or even those yeah. helicopter um, accidents, like what happened right. to um, Kobe. And mm -hmm. all of a sudden, one moment you have somebody there, the next moment somebody is gone. And as much as social media and other platforms go in and people are saying rest in peace, RIP, and, and sharing and disseminating information, the person who has to live through it is living in a moment where if they woke up in the morning, if it is your husband, they're no longer there. If it is like you had your son, he probably texted you in the morning and checked up on you. And all of a sudden you're checking your phone consistently because is that there's that missing link. There's that missing piece of you. And that's what trauma does to us. We don't see it because when you look in the mirror, you see a whole person but it takes a piece of you and that piece is never regained. That piece is never put back. It's almost like a lost piece of a jigsaw puzzle where you can see it all together, but you can see there's that, that missing piece and it can never be replaced because it's just not there anymore. I always say that I agree with everything that you say. It's very, mm -hmm. uh, very profound and true. I always say that, you know, if it was a physical, if grief were a physical disability, people would say, oh my, 
your leg is broken, your head is hanging off your, but you're right, you don't see it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And people keep this to themselves as mm-hmm. well. This is why I think it's so important that every culture has its rituals, mm. that it observes the passing of a loved one and wow. how, how it guides the principles of one's life, right? Wow. Because you, we, we want to keep that person's memory alive because we don't have the physical of that person. Mm. But, you know, in terms of grieving, that people don't know the other person is grieving how would they Mm, mm, because yes of course some people in the beginning in particular are very emotional there's everybody knows what happened everybody's careful you know but mm. as time goes on that piece is still missing Mm. but other people might not remember it as much as the person who's living it every day And so that grief goes inward. And sometimes there is where the trauma really has its long lasting effects. Mm, mm, Right. mm. Because the person isn't maybe healing as well as they could. And is there really ultimate healing? I'm not sure. Because as you pointed out, that piece is always missing. You accept it, hopefully, Mm. And you go on with your life and you do the best you can. But that piece is always missing. Mm. There, was, there was a video one time called Strong in the Broken Places. Mm. And they talked about, uh, you know, at the time in, in, um, after the Vietnam War and all the losses that were happened there. But this one person said, we do we never heal completely but we become strong in the broken places wow i thought that was i always remember that as mm. yeah mm. that that's that's true and mm. that points to the qualities of resilience i think mm. and that's why in some of these studies the long term effects of trauma unless there's some active intervention made is that people's resilience and coping strategies are are diminished, which makes sense, doesn't Mm -hmm. it? Because if you have trauma after trauma after trauma, particularly in collective situations, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Then the response to that trauma, people survive, they do what they have to do, but they are compromised in terms of their resilience and how they're coping because maybe too many pieces are missing. Mm, mm. You know, and I think you see this in the collective sense Mm. in cultures that have endured tremendous uh, suffering, Mm. right? Mm. And, and either through governments or people or, or, or uh, I'm thinking of that tsunami that, uh, that happened on Christmas Day years ago, where people died, hundreds of thousands, Mm. overnight, which altered that culture forever. Mm. So so we can look at things on a personal level, right? Our our personal relationship and what we can do. But we also have to look at it as a collective. And as you pointed out, one person transmitted, we think one person transmitted the virus somehow, mm-hmm. which affected the entire collective. 
Absolutely. So if anything makes us realize we are interconnected, it has to be that. And, and hopefully the outcome of this mm-hmm. collective experience is that people and governments and systems get better at protecting us from that or be, you know, having the things ready mm-hmm. and also supporting each other. Mm. Because it isn't a question of, you know, this group died, this group didn't, this group, everybody did. Mm. And I think um, what some of the things that I'm thinking of as you're saying that is that one of the biggest things, like looking at this situation with COVID, um, there has been a lot of not wanting to take responsibility for our own actions and our own feelings. And... I think that that's where we as a human race are getting it wrong as well, because it's almost like we are used to blame, blame as an action, blame as a solution, blame as the centerpiece. So whose fault was it? And who do we blame for this? And let's figure out why it happened. When trauma happens, I feel that um, blame can be thrown all over the place. I mean, it's easy to find a scapegoat. It's easy to find someone who you can say is the one who started it. But I think we've all learned from experience. It's not how it started, but it's how it finishes. And when we're looking at trauma, looking at anything that needs to come up to resolution, how we finish is more important than how it started. I mean, look at big events, like you were saying, you're looking at the Vietnam War, you're looking at the tsunamis, look at 9-11, look at things like even slavery, look at the Rwandan genocide, look at all these things that we feel like when we, when you find too many people spending time on blame. Who, so who's to blame? Who did what? Solutions can't be found. We can't move past trauma because we are still traumatizing somebody else. We're still trying to find someone else to give trauma. Instead of saying, wow, we've experienced this. This has become a part of our existence. How do we move forward from this? Not what started it, what caused it. Yes, what started and what caused it can be addressed, but how do we move forward from this point? I agree. I agree. It should be part of the process, not the full process. Mm-hmm. Because I think that there should be some resolution and forgiveness and things that happen to everyone that it's happened to. Mm-hmm. This is why I think an important phase is to identify what the issue is and how it happened. For example, when my son was kidnapped, obviously I wanted to know how it happened. But that's a human thing. And I wanted justice in the sense of this is the action, there are consequences. But to get caught up in that and have that as the final result because no amount of, quote, justice ever brings back the life. Mm. Mm. And scapegoating is something we do because we can't handle the thing that happened. So we make 
everybody wrong. And that's where stereotypes and violence and these, that, that to me is a, a negative dynamic. It's a natural human tendency, but it has to be curbed. You cannot act on that. But the yearning for justice, mm -hmm. when we think of truth and reconciliation, mm. there's the truth. And I think human beings need that as much as possible. Absolutely. But there's the reconciliation part that says, okay, we did that. First, the event happened. We tried to figure out how and what. Mm -hmm. Because if we don't understand that, how can we deal with future trauma? For example, in the, in the uh, uh, COVID, it's not to blame this poor person who happened, I probably, however it happened, maybe handling bats to bring them to market because they, they, that was their livelihood. No, but to observe that and see what can we learn from that? Maybe we need to be more ready. Maybe we need to look at the relationship between man and nature. Mm. And, and create some healthy boundaries there. Mm -hmm. You know, so, so I believe in that truthfulness in order to facilitate knowledge mm. for future. And then we move on to acceptance and peace. Mm. Because I don't mm. think you can ever have peace unless you first investigate, but then accept what happened. Mm. Things happen in the world. They do. They happen to you. They happen to me personally. Now, we could still be heavily invested in that and, and not resolve it and be angry and be, yes, that's a, fa that's a natural part of humanity. But to stay there mm. creates all sorts of problems. And then it's passed to generations, isn't it? And then yes. we have all of these things that we see, mm. unhealthy patterns. Mm. Unhealthy patterns, unhealthy ways of, of doing things. And it, I think it's also because when we don't acknowledge, acknowledgement is, um, is hard in trauma. It's um, a space where sometimes people who are victims of trauma or people who are, um, who are part of the trauma itself, they don't accept that it happened. And that denial in itself can cause dis-ease, which yes. then in the long-term manifests itself in long-term illnesses. It, it, it um, becomes abusive behaviors, abuse towards substances, abuse towards a lot of things because they're trying to mask a pain. It's almost like they're trying to put Band-Aid or paracetamol or some painkiller to stop being able to feel the pain of what happened. And so it's so important to acknowledge the fact that it happened. And acknowledging it is not saying that we are wanting to forget about it or we're moving on from it. We're just saying this happened and we acknowledge that it was a hard thing. It was a difficult thing. And now we want to see how we can start working to get you into a space where you can live and sit side by side by with your trauma and acknowledge the fact that it is real. 
I agree. It's, you know, I think that points to the issue of support Mm. and collective support. Mm -hmm. Because I think also what happens is humans have experienced so much trauma that there can be a numbing that goes along with that. Particularly in times of high trauma Mm. in any collective, right? So then people, they're compromised. So they lose that part of their humanity where they can really support each other and talk about it. So the emotions, the emotional content gets repressed or, or shut down because people don't have the wherewithal. And you see this also in, in transgenerational trauma. The, the, the skills are impaired to react, not to react to the trauma, but resolve it. So mm. no one's talking about it, mm. but it's there. And mm. this is why the support system that encourages or allows or facilitates humans talking to each other about it. Mm. For example, you and I did not know our traumas before we sat down and had that wonderful conversation where you opened up and led the way I opened up. And before you knew it, we were two human beings understanding each other. Yes, Yes, we could have talked and kept it on this level and, you know, busy, whatever it is. No, but we got into it and Mm -hmm. allowed the sharing. I know it was significant for me because every time I allow myself or am encouraged to do that, I learned something Mm, mm, that mm. maybe I hadn't thought about for a while, or it just, it, you know, those missing pieces, it just fuses things together a little bit more because I really believe that we realize, ah, that's right. We're human beings. Not human doings. Exactly. We're human beings. Exactly. Exactly. And I think um, it also comes from our history as human beings. When we look, when we dig really deeply into our history, we find that um, we marvel at the cave drawings that were done because it was a way we were trying to communicate our experiences. That is the one thing as human beings that we've always wanted to do throughout time. When you look at great authors and writers, playwrights like Shakespeare, you look at Hollywood, it's built on the backbone of wanting to share stories and tell stories. It's that wanting to connect with the humanity in each one of us, which helps us through pivotal moments, that helps us through those moments where we think we cannot handle this and so we tell our stories in different ways we tell our stories in ways we tell it through song through dance through music through writings through so many ways and all we're trying to do is we are trying to offload the pain and share it and tell somebody else out there that you're not alone that other people have been through it and somehow some way you're going to be okay yes yes exactly because creativity from from the cave days you mentioned onward has been about the expression of sharing and also healing yes 
because that's where the healing really takes place. I mean, you, you can have profound internal experiences through art, mm -hmm. right? And, and art should elevate and question. But it is that sharing with another human being that the story itself brings the healing. Mm. And maybe that's what we're missing a little bit these days because there's so much divisiveness is that common experience that all humans share. And that's where it, the magic happens. And it is magical because Absolutely. how can you take something that is so dense and painful and even private and, and and it's going around in your psyche, your mind, even your family. But then in that sharing, something happens. Some mountain is moved. I'm mm -hmm. not saying you walk away, you get, it's over. But, but something shifts. Mm -hmm. Something shifts. Absolutely. Oh, Kathleen, we are at the end of our session. And it's um, almost like... How do we get to this point? How do we get to this point? Wow. Because this was an incredible, incredible session. I am so grateful for you and grateful uh, for you coming to share with me on this platform and addressing something that I think is very difficult for, for many families, many individuals. And I'm sure somebody has found some sort of healing from just listening to us and will go out there and start um, looking to, to, to find something that will help that, that, coming togetherness that you mentioned, uh, that missing piece, closing up slowly and creating a new picture, a picture that doesn't really um, take away what happened, but then makes it just a beautiful piece of that tapestry that we call life itself. Is there any parting words you would like to share with my audience today? Well, first of all, I want to thank you, Titsi, for even, you know, this, I can't, I thought it was five minutes. I wasn't watching the clock. So, so thank you. I, we, I think we could go on for a long time, but Absolutely. I hope anyone who's listening has found some nurturing and, and sustenance and, and to give some thought about how you will share and how you will use this to, to help you and the people you care about. So thank you. Thank you so much.